This is sounds from Ukraine now. Звук из України зараз. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Sounds from Ukraine Now. You're with Clemens Poole and Charlotte Tanzler-Barrens. 
and today we have a guest of ours called Les Vinogradov. Is that right, Les? Did I say it okay? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for those of you who haven't listened to Sounds from Ukraine now, this is a radio show that Clemens and I started a few weeks ago where we connect and talk with Ukrainian artists and discuss their practice and what is going on in Ukraine now and their lives. Um, so yeah, Les, thank you very much for joining us. It's really nice to talk with you. And um, as I understand, you are a musician, but maybe you'd like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your practice. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, thank you, Chol. I want to say thanks, Clemens, for having me here. Uh, I think just, yeah, sorry if, if this will sound pathetic uh, a little bit, but uh, I just think that what you're doing is really important uh, for Ukrainians right now. And it's great that you, you know, provide this platform to Ukrainian voices. So thank you so much for this uh, initiative. Um, yeah, um, yeah, my name is Les Vinogradov and uh, I'm a musician among other things. And actually this is always the heart question to me and i will probably tell a little story uh to to explain this uh, like right now uh, i am in chicago with my wife and my wife is a student she's a fulbright student so she uh, she studies here at the uh, school of the art institute of chicago uh and um, i came here as her husband uh basically uh this is my legal status here in the us and whenever we meet new people uh, here in Chicago, uh, Lisa, my wife, always starts by introducing herself. And she says, yeah, I'm a MA student uh, in New Arts Journalism here at SAIC. Uh, and she, people are always excited to hear about this program. And then they asked, uh, asked me, like, who, uh, who are you? Like, what are you doing? And I'm saying, I I'm, I'm her husband. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my job here. And yeah, uh, I, I actually feel very comfortable in this uh, role right now because uh, normally it's kind of a challenge for me to say exactly what I do because I've been doing lots of things over the years. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Clemens know what I, knows what I'm talking about because he is this, uh, also in this uh, kind of person that, that is very, very vers versatile in what he's doing. <laughs> So I've yeah. been, uh, yeah, I've, I've been doing like uh, cultural projects as a cultural manager back in Ukraine. Uh, originally, I majored in French literature. I hold a PhD in French literature, but I had to like totally abandon that path, you know, uh, to be more involved with the contemporary art world in, in Ukraine. So I worked as a communications person for a uh, arts institution. This is where I met Clemens. It's uh, the institution is called Isolatia. It used to be based in Donetsk, which is now occupied. It then moved to Kiev. Um, after Isolatia, I worked for the Ukrainian Institute uh, in Kiev, which is this cultural diplomacy uh, state institution. And I worked as a uh, program manager, as the head of uh, the art uh, programs. Uh, and yeah, during all these years, I, I've all also been uh, a musician. I have several projects. Uh, one of them we just heard, this is my solo project. It's called No End of Mine. And I also have a doom metal band, which is called Vindimetrix, which we will eventually hear uh, today. And I also played and 
currently I'm still part of the project that is called Kawan. It's a, an international uh, band uh, whose leader is now based in Finland. So yeah, that's about what I'm doing. How did you get from French literature PhD to cultural programming? Oh, that's uh, that's a very sad story, actually, because um, at the time I was finishing my PhD, uh, I was actually really looking forward to work in the academia to become uh, a professor uh, of you know foreign literature, of Western literature at my university, at my alma mater, the Shevchenko University in Kiev. Uh, but well, quite um, in a quite prosaic way, uh, it was really very hard financially to do that uh, at that time. That was in 2015. And um, yeah, it, it was a time when I moved from my parents. I started living uh, with my partner, then partner, and uh, I needed money. <laughs> and the academia just couldn't offer that. Uh, I tried to work in the academia for like uh, half a year for a semester. It didn't really work. And this is when I found Isolatia. And at that time that was more like financially viable. And I also was kind of, I had this feeling that uh, at least in Kiev at that particular moment in time, um, contemporary art and culture in general uh, was a much more kind of vivid, uh, much more vibrant field than literary criticism. I mean, I still feel that way actually. But, was, uh, <laughs> was When you talk about that moment, are you talking about the post-Maidan moment or are you talking about just like something more general? Uh, I mean, definitely Maidan was part of that. Definitely. Yeah. So that was the moment when uh, I think it was this really kind of short, but also unique moment when people really felt empowered, at least in Kiev, and these new cultural initiatives sprang one by one in uh, in Kiev and uh, yeah it felt like you could do anything with that uh, and that was the feeling that this is where uh, life uh, is going on you know as opposed to yeah like French literature studies which felt kind of um, um, stagnating in a way like at least in Kiev I mean I participated in several international conferences about the author that I worked on Georges Perec the French writer mm -hmm. uh, I actually traveled to the UK uh, once for a conference and then to Paris and even there although there were many uh, scholars working on in that particular field you know I still felt that this was so um, kind of separated from the actual realities of my life, you know, uh, I really felt that this was this kind of um, ivory tower, uh, as opposed to, yeah, the actual life that was uh, unfolding, you know, in Kiev. And yeah, so I, I totally felt that uh, working at Isolatia at that moment was much more interesting, much more challenging, and definitely had much, I had much more touch with uh, the actuality, you know. Has, if, if this was kind of the thought process for that period, has this period been frustrating in that way? Because I guess you are kind of, I, I mean, I, I think we partly wanted to talk to you because you're somebody who 
has experienced something that's uh, to a certain degree unique, but also shared by a lot of Ukrainians where they are involved in something else, some normal stuff in their life that takes them out of the country. And then the war happens and uh, the war has created this rupture for a lot of people, but I feel like it must be particularly hard to both uh, be frustrated by probably the lack of opportunities right now in the, in this like culture sphere and also the sort of specificity of how people are asking people to react. And then Mm -hmm. of course, the fact that you're distant from it. Um, So is this, has this moment kind of uh, reinforced that frustration or is this kind of a, I don't know. I mean, it's an open question, I guess. Yeah, like uh, by by moment, you mean uh, the time back then when I started working in this field, right? Uh, no, I mean now. I mean now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah because uh, like, you know, in many ways, I, I feel that everything that has been happening for the past eight years was in a way leading us towards where we are now, uh, like in many ways, but uh, I feel that things we have gained over these eight years are basically what helps us now to continue, you know, fighting, uh, what gives us really the uh, faith in that is going to be fine eventually, probably not right now. Uh, so um, we uh, we went to Chicago, yeah, because Lisa started uh, studying here. It's not that we, you know, we're planning to leave Ukraine for good. We were actually pretty optimistic about Ukraine, uh, about Ukraine's future, at least in our, you know, small bubble uh, in Kiev. We felt that, yeah, that was place to be. It was really interesting to be there, um, despite all the problems that we had. Um, so we moved to Chicago to, yeah, to experience this different life, uh, but with definitely an idea to come back, to return to Ukraine afterwards. And we were actually already looking forward to, you know, visiting our friends and families uh, this summer when the war started, the full-scale invasion, that is, uh, because of course the war has been going on since 2014. Right now, uh, I'll be honest, of course, we are very uncertain about everything that is happening. And we are definitely unable to make any plans. Uh, We don't know what's going to be happening in a year when Lisa's program is over and we will have to decide whether we're returning to Ukraine or we have to do something else, like look for opportunities outside of Ukraine. I personally really hope that we'll be able to return to Kiev. I would love to be there. I, I, I think that this is the possibility. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be that bad in a year. Uh, I'm actually rather optimistic uh, about, uh, yeah, what's what's going to happen. Um, yeah, like uh, being a part of like the cultural uh, bubble, uh, I would say doesn't really help uh, to, uh, to experience uh, what is going on right now. Because, uh, you know, on top of the actual violence that is happening in Ukraine, I mean, the physical violence, the destruction. There is also this uh, tremendous amount of uh, disinformation, uh, like Russian propaganda, which is very present in in the West. Can you give examples of how that is or how that manifests? 
Oh yeah, I mean, I can I can just cite one example. Um, at the end, uh, at the beginning of this full-scale invasion, uh, Lisa's school, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, organized uh, an online event, uh, kind of an, an explainer of what's going on in Ukraine uh, for the students of that school. Uh, and it's an art school, so yeah, I mean, uh, of course, they wanted uh, to give a nuanced uh, kind of understanding of what's going on. And uh, what they did, they uh, in, invited one person to tell about the context. And it was a Canadian uh, scholar uh, who has never been to Ukraine. Uh, and uh, he kind of gave uh, a background for what has been happening between Russia and Ukraine for the past, I know, 300 years. It was kind of okay. Uh, there was nothing I could really, you know, criticize in, in uh, what he was uh, telling about Ukraine. But then, uh, like after uh, his uh, speech, they invited uh, a person that was not uh, announced uh, at the onset. And that person was a Russian student from that school. Uh, who immediately started saying that uh, sanctions uh, against Russia are bad, uh, that uh, ordinary Russians are suffering from this war. Uh, like she started saying that like her friends cannot uh, pay the, their mortgage now because of the war, uh, or that like her grandmother cannot buy some meds because of the war. And uh, after her... Uh, uh, like uh, presentation, uh, the event was over. There was no Q&A, there was nothing. There was not a single Ukrainian person uh, present at the event. Like they, they didn't give uh, a platform to, <laughs> to any Ukrainian person. Uh, and so that was it, that was the event. And that was really weird. Uh, and this was really frustrating for us because it was like the first weeks of the war. And like here in Chicago, where uh, you have like 50,000 Ukrainians, it's got a huge Ukrainian diaspora, huge Ukrainian community. Um, yeah, they, they don't really think about inviting a single Ukrainian person to give the Ukrainian perspective on things. Uh, they rather prefer to, yeah, to, to invite some random Russian student. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, this is something that is happening uh, rather often. Uh, here in the U.S., and that's surprising and that's frustrating. Uh, I mean, uh, afterwards, I need to say this because, yeah, to be, uh, you know, uh, just uh, Lisa contacted her school. She was very angry and she explained to them that this was wrong and the school actually responded uh, in an adequate way. They said, okay, we understand that we fucked up. Uh, and so they actually organized another event uh, and uh, that event was much more balanced and uh, I'm pretty sure the, the, the second event was kind of what they were supposed to do in the first place. But that was also, you know, several weeks after, I mean, probably even a month after that initial event. And, well, I, I just think that, uh, yeah, it would, would have made, made much, much more sense to have this kind of balanced event at the at the beginning, you know, rather than making it like two months into the war when people were probably even not 
as interested as they used to be, you know, because of course, like the attention span of, of the audiences that are not like directly involved in war is limited. So do you think in terms of the, what you're saying, how Russian propaganda is still prevalent in America, so is that because you, the American people don't even blink to think that they should have a more equal panel? Like, how do you see that being propaganda from Russia? I mean, uh, the fact that um, a school, uh, the fact that they are not even thinking about, you know, presenting a Ukrainian voice at, a, at an event that is about Ukraine, to me, this is the result of two factors. One factor is, of course, let's say the imperialist legacy of big countries such as the U.S. I mean, big countries such as the U.S., powerful countries are thinking in terms of big powers. And of course, Russia is a big power. Ukraine is not. Uh, so this, this, that, that is one part of the problem. But uh, I'm pretty sure that Russian uh, narratives uh, that are actually spread quite a lot via both far right and far left uh, channels and communities in the US, they, they have their effect because like there are many people both on the left and on the right in the US are actually, I don't know like whether consciously or not, they are actually repeating the exact same narratives or using the same vocabulary as the official Kremlin. And this is uh, surreal for us because like people who claim that they are like anti-establishment and all that, uh, they end up really using the same vocabulary that official Kremlin is using. Like not some kind of, you know, like uh, leftist philosophers, uh, no, but like actual, uh, you know, narratives and actual sentences that uh, Russia is using. So, I mean, this to me is, is a sign that, uh, yeah, like the, this hybrid warfare that uh, Russia uh, is leading, it, 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 it is effective. It, it has its consequences uh, in the US uh, and in many other countries, of course, in, in Europe. It's super active uh, in Germany and France. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they're successful in, in doing that. Um, I think we should go to listen to your second track, <laughs> if we can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry to stop that conversation short, but um, we wanted to do it in the middle. Yeah, let's do it. Sure, sure.
So I was, I was quite keen to get that one played because I know it was a long one, but wow, Les, that was so cool. Like, <laughs> I feel like also the first um, song that we played at the beginning, like, I feel the sounds always, like, they're obviously very different, but so atmospheric and have such narratives. Like, I really felt there were characters, like the first one we played at the beginning, I felt that was quite, for me, reminded me of film music. Like, I could really, like, mm. feel it with, like, a kind of visual thing going on in this one. There were moments which were less like that for me, but the, the kind of more the ending, I really felt like that kind of feeling coming back. So it kind of linked back to the first song that we played somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, much of the stuff that I, I'm doing uh, musically, um, in my head, it works as a kind of a, as a universe probably with some places in it. It's not like so much of like characters or stories, but yeah, places. And um, I've wanting actually for a long time to be uh, to be able to uh, not only make music, but something like more, something else that would kind of uh, extend the, this musical world to, to something else. And uh, well, right now I'm trying to, and I'm like really saying this very humbly, I'm trying to make some kind of a video game that would uh, actually uh, be based on that idea that I have about this, you know, like world and, and places. Um, and yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna feature some of my music for sure, because yeah, I think these things, yeah, it's all about atmosphere for me, basically. Yeah, it's not so much about tunes as it mm. is about the atmospheres. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> Les, I'm, I'm curious. Um, after the war started, I didn't listen to music for, I think, I don't know, several weeks at least. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you had a similar experience, but when oh, yes. I, I, the first album that I, came to after this period was uh haqq by liturgy which mm -hmm. i didn't really expect that i would go for something like so uh hard and uh like progressive but knowing your the music that you make which is like heavy progressive uh or like prog rock influenced um i'm kind of curious what what you what was the first thing that you listened to and kind of how has your listening rather than production changed after this uh like during this period oh yeah uh definitely for the first couple of weeks maybe even a month of the uh full-scale invasion i was really unable to listen to any uh music uh actually 
like one of the yeah the first weekend uh, after the war started, uh, there was this rally in Chicago, a big one uh, on the Millennium Square, and uh, at some point they started playing music like Ukrainian music, uh, Okeanelzi, which is like the biggest pop rock band in in Ukraine, and this is that that was definitely the moment of our, our, our breakdown because like we all just you know started crying right away uh, and that was so kind of visceral we just could not control it you know and that was too much for us we felt that we're not ready for this you know because we we've been like super stressed and uh, yeah this music it was really kind of painful to listen to it so yeah for the first month uh, for the, yeah around a month it was uh, almost impossible for me to listen to any of the stuff later um i started actually by listening to ukrainian music uh and the, mostly the stuff that i didn't really listen to before uh i made this kind of a small project of gathering a uh, spotify list playlist of like ukrainian said ukrainian music i called it like said ukrainian uh, and yeah, I got all kind of all kinds of different stuff uh, there, like from pop music of the '90s to like hip hop uh, to doom metal, uh, all stuff that is like gloomy and sad. And well, Ukrainian music is rich on that stuff. Uh, there is this term <laughs> Ukrainian word zhurba, which means I don't know like gloom or sadness or something like that so it's uh, it's a very kind of um, uh, genuinely Ukrainian thing uh, this kind of feeling of zhurba. and yeah I made this seven hour long playlist of Ukrainian music and I've been listening to that for for a while before I actually could uh you know uh get back to the stuff that i would normally listen to and that would be something like like steely dan you know stuff like that uh so yeah uh, that was a very kind of uh slow transition back to some kind of normality and when were you making these songs like uh, there are lots of different instruments and there's voices and are you doing it all as all your own production or do you also collaborate with others that depends. Uh, so my solo project, uh, and a end of mine, uh, we the, the track that we heard at the beginning, uh, it's all myself. So I I recorded all of that stuff alone, and uh, then there was just the mixing guy who did the the actual mixing and mastering. Uh, as to Vindimiatrix, it's a band, uh, and we have a great guitarist Yuri Sirenko who is also mixing uh the stuff well this particular track that we just heard was mixed by uh, yuri uh although normally we would go to somebody else uh to uh, to mix uh like we we actually uh, prior to this uh, invasion uh we were uh recording our upcoming like full-length album this track is taken from an ep we just re released this ep separately because these were the tracks that didn't really fit into uh, the album and we were actually working on the next album and we had to stop because of the war uh, we still have like drums uh to record uh, but yeah that like that full length we are going to uh, carry and bring to somebody uh, outside of the band because we prefer to have you know somebody who is not 
directly involved with the band to to make the sound production in in terms of this kind of music do you see yourself as part of a scene is there like a lot of stuff like this in kiev can you recommend stuff for people to listen to or is this kind of unique to the the music scene i'm more familiar with kind of this like you know like pop and techno going on but i don't know actually a lot of uh, metal bands in kiev right yeah uh there used to be a scene i would say so like it used to be bigger it used to be more kind of um you could feel that it was there uh that was around like uh to 2010-2008, around that time. That was actually the time when our band, like Pindometrics, started. Uh, There there was this community. It it started as a forum, you know, at the time when forums were still kind of big. Uh, There was this forum called Doom, uh, Just Doom. Yeah, it was called Just Doom uh, in Kiev. And around that forum uh, gathered, yeah, a good deal of people who were interested in doom metal, but like in various uh, subgenres of, of doom metal. And out of that forum actually uh, uh, emerged a, you could, you could call it an organization, uh, Doom uh, Over Kiev. They started with uh, like festivals. Uh, the first festival was featuring, I guess, only Ukrainian bands, but like uh, soon afterwards, they started bringing uh, big names in, in the doom metal scene uh, from around the world to, to Kiev. And it has been great. Uh, the last uh, doom over Kiev happened, um, if I'm not mistaken, in like 2019 or 2018. Uh, so like actually it stopped because of COVID. Uh, and, but before that, uh, I could say that, yeah, we used to have this, uh, kind of um, community. So if you if you're really interested in discovering more of like Ukrainian do metal scene, I wouldn't say it's huge, but there are uh, like some interesting uh, bands there. Uh, I really suggest you just go to the uh, Doom Over Kiev uh, page on Facebook. Uh, and from there, you can start your journey. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting, very little scene, but I mean, uh, almost everywhere around the world, even in the States where it's probably the biggest, uh, still like doom metal is one of those super underground genres. So you don't really get a lot of people like you know coming to the concerts and yeah it's normal normally it's like very very small going back to something as you said at the beginning about there being like 50,000 ukrainians in chicago and like quite a large diaspora do you know why that is well historically yeah it was just one of those cities uh where many ukrainians came uh like so many ukrainians like most of the old diaspora that is now in Chicago came after directly after the Second World War. So those were people mainly from western west of Ukraine uh, who fleed from uh, from the Soviet uh, regime that came there uh, after the Second World War. Um, and yeah, so that, you know, like people uh, migrated to Canada a lot, uh, people migrated to, to the US uh, and Chicago was just one of those big uh, cities with, but I mean, it's not the only one. Uh, 
in the US where you have like a pretty big uh, diaspora. Uh, but yeah, Chicago is definitely one of the uh, like one of the major ones in, in the US. Do you feel it there? Do you do you feel a little bit of the Ukrainian vibe or is it oh, yeah, definitely. kind of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a Ukrainian village. It's a uh, it's a neighborhood here. I mean, it's historically been Ukrainian. Nowadays, uh, it's more it's 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 going more like Latino and uh, like we've been told that like most Ukrainians actually moved to the suburbs uh, and they don't live uh, in the Ukrainian village anymore. But uh, actually, we still see a lot of flags. Uh, uh, during the like the first weeks uh, of the full-scale invasion, there were huge rallies in the Ukrainian village, and we could see that yeah, the uh, the community is pretty huge. There are several uh, Ukrainian churches here, so yeah, I mean it's uh, it's tangible. You can you can really see it uh, like around the city. Is that comforting, or is that? I, I mean, I know I, I've had some encounters with. Uh kind of diaspora people and they they often have you know a lot of goodwill uh but but also sort of a different understanding of what's happening and this kind of thing is that a factor or oh i would say that overall it definitely makes you feel less isolated and less lonely when you see so many ukrainian flags around the city and you know that like many of those people are ukrainians uh, so that helps, I would say. Uh, but then, of course, I mean, if you start uh, talking to people of the older diaspora, you understand that, I mean, there are, they, they are Americans, right? They, they're not planning to return to Ukraine. So for them, this is more of a kind of a symbolic war. Uh, I mean, they definitely support Ukraine. They, uh, you know, donate a lot and they're great uh, in that. And they are trying to push some, you know, important things uh, via the senators and all of that. Uh, but yeah, those are Americans and they're, they're, they're going to stay in the U.S. They're not going to, you know, come back to Ukraine. Whereas us, you know, we're, we, we're still a little bit of the outsiders here because we're actually planning to return to Ukraine and which is why I think yes the perception of this whole situation is different uh, but no I mean definitely it feels good you know to be uh, around Ukrainians here in Chicago definitely it's, it's better than not having Ukrainians around. We've been kind of asking people if there are if, there, if there's anything you would like to use this platform to kind of you know, inform people about something that they can donate to or some other way that you think it's important that people support uh, Ukraine or even ways for people to learn more about what's going on? Do you have any kind of closing comments that can help people? Uh... Yeah, I mean, every everywhere I go, I just keep telling the same thing. It's my mantra. <laughs> and I just think it's true. Like, uh, if you want to know what's going on in Ukraine, you, you should talk to Ukrainians. Uh, you shouldn't always rely on uh, foreign sources, even if it's big, like uh, media outlets, such as like New York Times or uh, whatever, Washington Post. Uh, I mean, they are great, but uh, they should not be your only source of information on Ukraine. Uh, yeah, uh, and also, like, if you are being vocal about anything uh, concerning Ukraine, 
it's probably uh, probably it makes sense for you to uh, have at least several Ukrainian uh, friends or at least people you know and you have talked to before you know you uh, you're going there uh, giving advice to what Ukraine should or should not do and all of that. So like uh, please be a little less uh, imperialist in uh, what you do. Uh, listen to Ukrainians um, because yeah, Ukraine is trying to prove right now, and I think it's successfully proving that we uh, we can talk for ourselves. We we have uh, our own agency, and we have something to offer to this world. Uh, and yeah, so uh, and there are many interesting Ukrainians out there. So just find them and talk to them. Thank you. Cool. Uh, yeah, uh, just a th small thing about this EP that my doom metal band, uh, Vendimetrix, uh, just released. Uh, we heard the one track of it, uh, Stars. So the EP, uh, we decided to release it right now uh, because uh, our drummer, uh, Ihor Babayev uh, has been, uh, you know, actively involved in uh, volunteering initiatives uh, in Ukraine, uh, and we decided uh, to release this EP and make it a Bandcamp-only release uh, to uh, fundraise for Ihor's um, initiatives. So he, uh, since the start of the war, he's been uh, traveling first around Kiev, then around the liberated uh, regions uh, in the north of Ukraine, and now uh, he went uh, to uh, the east of Ukraine. Uh, so he is uh, gathering requests for medicine and other essentials um, by people who are, you know, directly affected by the war. And uh, he's great. We really, you know, believe in what he's doing, and we just wanted to help him. So, uh, if if you wish to help us, if you if you wish to support this uh, little initiative, because this is, you know, like directly somebody we know uh, personally, you can uh, go to uh, Vindimetrix's uh, Bandcamp and purchase uh, this uh, little EP at name your price, uh, and this way you will help us you know, to, to fund uh, Ihor's uh, volunteering initiative. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. And we'll, we'll include links, whatever links you want to send us um, mm -hmm. when we post. And so uh, hopefully people can find that easily and listen to the music and uh, support Ukraine. Perfect. Yeah. And what is this last track that we're, we're doing? So the last track is the finale of my uh, latest solo album. So it's by my solo project, End of End of Mine. The album is called uh, Sanctuaire. Uh, it's in French. And uh, the final song is called uh, Vers l'immensité de l'horreur éternelle, which means towards uh, the immensity of eternal aurora or dawn. So it's about uh, the new day and the hope it brings hopefully thank you so much les for chatting with us and sharing your music it's yeah really great thank you thank you
This is sounds from Ukraine now. Звук из Украины зараз.